Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, great to be with you this morning. Um, my name is Damon. I'm one of the, the elders here at uh, City Reach Oakton. And um, today we're concluding uh, a four-week series we've been doing um, over, over the Christmas period. We've been doing The Way of the Cross. Um, and just looking at the way that um, four of the main, um, I guess, idols of our time uh, sort of clash with the cross and, and, and with Jesus' birth at Christmas. And in, in week one, um, we looked at the idol of comfort. Which is, which is obviously a, a very big one here in, in Australia, in, in Adelaide, and, and the way that comfort tends to, to pull our focus and it, beca- it can be something that we build our, our, our lives around. Week two, we looked at the cross or a crush and relationships and physical intimacy and uh, the way that can become, even though it is, is a good gift from God, it can become an idol and become our focus. In the third week, we looked at the cross or cash and looked at money and the pull that that has on our lives and the security and the, and the privilege that money brings. And then tonight, to finish uh, this morning, tonight, kind of dark in here, anyway, this morning we're finishing off our series by looking at the cross or a crown and looking at the idol of power. Now, when I talk about the word power, probably many of you in here are probably thinking, you're probably reflecting on the four, the four topics of the, of the series and you're thinking, yeah, power is probably the, probably the one I struggle with the least. I think, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I think probably a lot of people in this room are probably thinking, oh, power, like, I don't need power, I'm not allured by power. The other things, yeah, they, they have a real pull in my life, but, but power, not so much. But I, I would actually contend this morning that power is in many ways probably the one that we all struggle with the most. It's just a lot more sneaky. It's really subtle, it's really sneaky, it's really deceptive, it's very well disguised. So, to start us off this morning, I've actually written down some statements. Now, these statements are basically designed to get you thinking because they all connect in different ways to this idea of power or having control. And as I'm reading these, you might, you might be tempted to think of someone else who you think these relate to, but I encourage you just to reflect on yourself, not on, on anyone else, of which of these statements really ring true for you. And I can tell you, there's some of them that for me, I'm like, oh yeah, that's not really me. Some of them are, are really me. These are things that I struggle with. Um, these might relate to your work life, they might relate to your church life, they might relate to your, your marriage or your relationships, or your friendships, or, or elsewhere. And they might relate to how you relate, it might relate to how you connect with groups of people, or maybe how you engage with just one person. So, as I read these, just, just think about the ones that might relate to you. Here we go. And they'll be on the slides as well. I find it hard to not be the one making decisions. I love feeling important when I enter a room. I just need to feel significant. When I can't control a situation, I get worried, I get angry, or I get anxious. I get frustrated when people don't get as passionate about my ideas as I do. I listen to other people, but uh, deep down, I truly believe that I know better. I'm very collaborative, but I always like to have the final say on important matters. I'm very good at influencing other people so that they come around to my way of thinking. Now, you can, you can add your own to that list if you want. So, as you're reading those, maybe, maybe you're feeling a little, bit, a little bit uncomfortable or a little bit convicted or maybe a bit de- defensive. Um, I, just, I just want you to, to, to pause there for a second because before I go any further, I just want to establish one thing. Power isn't bad. It's not inherently bad. Okay, if it was, I mean, maybe this is an oversimplification, but if power was inherently bad, God would be inherently evil, because God is the most powerful being in the universe. He's, inf- he's infinitely powerful, but He's also infinitely good. And as we've looked at in our series so far, comfort is not inherently evil. Neither is 
relationships and sexual intimacy, wonderful gifts from God. Money in and of itself, not inherently evil. All these things are gifts from God and they can be enjoyed rightly, but unfortunately, our hearts are really, really, really bad at doing that and they get themselves in a twist and we tend to turn things upside down. Because as Christians, we believe, and this is important, we believe that in every human being there is inherent, some inherent good. We believe that every human being is made by God, made for God, made in the image of God. There is inherent good in every human being. And yet sin, this, this very christian word sin, has infected our hearts in such a way that it has tainted everything. It's corrupted the world, it's, corrup- it's corrupted our hearts. And it's not just, sin's not just something that, it's not just a moral thing that's on our surface and we have to work really hard to be better people to get rid of sin. It doesn't work that way. Sin is at the core of our being. It has corrupted us and infected us and it's not something we can fix. It's infected our hearts, our desires, our thoughts, our perspectives, our understanding. And this is where the gifts, the gifts of, of comfort and, and sex and money and power they all have the potential to not just devastate our own lives, but devastate the lives, the lives of the people around us. These wonderful gifts become potentially really dangerous things. Because the first thing we need to realize if we're going to see power through God's eyes, how He views it, is that we were actually made for it. We were made for it. That might sound a bit strange, but we were actually made for power. Let, 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 me, let, me, understand, let me explain what I mean here. I'm going to rewind right back to the beginning of creation in the Garden of Eden, before sin has, has, has fractured the world and fractured our hearts. And God creates man and woman, He creates Adam and Eve, and He gives them a really huge job. He gives them the job of looking after His creation, the garden, to care for the animals, to care for the plants. He puts them in charge. He gives them power. He gives them authority. He gives them significance and importance and responsibility and purpose. That was part of his created good. That's what he created them, part of what he created them for. You know, he didn't just create us to be just another animal. We're not, you know, he didn't say, all right, Adam and Eve, go and submit to the cows, okay? Put them first, prioritize them. He didn't say, all right, go and, go and humble yourselves before the pigeons or let the, let the cats make all the decisions. He didn't say that, all right? He put us in charge. This was a good thing. But then you may know what happened next. Went downhill pretty fast. Adam and Eve were, were tricked by the enemy. The enemy said, you know, got, got in their head, said, you know, you, why, why, why trust that God has your best interests at heart? Why submit to Him? What, why shouldn't you have the knowledge of good and evil? Why, why trust His authority? Why shouldn't you make your own decisions? And so essentially what this was, this was much more than them just eating a piece of fruit. This was actually rebellion against Him. It was basically a rejection of Him as Lord and a rejection of Him as King. And all sin actually kind of relates back to this core issue of thinking that we know better. This idol of self, like, no, God, I, I can make my own decisions. I think I'm actually a much better God than you are, thank you very much. And so all sin at its heart is actually rebellion against the one who is truly in power. And so God, God announces the consequences to Adam and Eve, and one of these things is that there will be this, He announces that there will be this power struggle between the man and the woman, that humanity will no longer, you know, human beings will no longer put each other first and look to each other's interests, as they had been up until this point, but he says, actually, there'll be enmity between you, there'll be struggle between you, 
And, and you know, as a, as a, it's not my main focus this morning, but it's, it needs to be said that one of the outworkings of this has been pretty much in every society and pretty much every age since, there's been uh, different forms of, uh, you know, of, of toxic uh, patriarchy, I guess you could call it, or, or abusive masculinity. Now, this is not me blaming everything on men, far from it, but the reality is that one of the consequences of this fracturing of the world and fracturing of relationships is that women in, in e pretty much every society in every age since then have suffered at the, 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 the power dynamic and the, the power seeking of patriarchal society. It's important that we acknowledge that. And in the following pages of the Bible, we, we read just the world just spirals, absolutely spirals into just debauchery and, and, and brutality that we can't even imagine and just, just darkness. And so, we go from God giving Adam and Eve power and them using this power to serve others, to, 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 to serve each other, to serve God, to look after the creation. That's then fractured and this, this ideal is shattered and humanity's, this, the, the, the power that God had given Adam and Eve, that was one of the ways that they reflected who God was. It was one of the ways they reflected the image of God and then that was shattered. And from then on, we have humans seeking power for their own advantage at the expense of the poor, at the expense of the weak, at the expense of the vulnerable. Now, there's situations in, in countries like Syria and Yemen and Myanmar right now, and I could go on, just unspeakable atrocities being committed. Unspeakable. Sometimes we hear little flashes of it in the news, generally not, but this, this you know, power-hungry men and power-hungry women that ha over the years have just exploited and hurt and... and downtrodden people, and it's just, it's unspeakable the atrocities that humans have committed and still commit in seeking power. And the same thing happened to God's people in the Bible over, over many years, over the, the centuries that followed. Power-hungry people exploited others, committed acts of brutality, and fattened themselves at the expense of others. And you, at this point, you might be thinking, well, yeah, that's, that's true, that's true, there are a lot of horrible people in the world, just checking over my last few weeks, I don't, I don't think I've committed regicide lately. I don't think I've, you know, forced thousands of people from their homes. I haven't committed any war crimes or any atrocities, hopefully. Um, I think that's, that's probably true. It's important to acknowledge that. But how about in our relationships? Sorry. How about in our relationships? How about, how about in the lifestyle that we so desperately try and build for ourselves here in Adelaide? Think back to that list of statements I displayed at the start. Did any of those hit home for you? Because we need to understand that the desire for power is not just the desire to be a, a king or a head of state. It's not just about being the biggest and most intimidating person in the room. It's not just about being the boss at work. You know, the, the desire for power is sneaky, it's subtle, it's deceptive. It affects all of us in different subtle ways. It's the desire to get our own way, the desire to influence others for our own gain, to have the final say, to, to undermine others to, get, to achieve our goals. It all stems from the desire to put ourselves first. It doesn't matter how small the little kingdom you're building for yourself is, if, if you're the ruler, if you're, if you're building your own little kingdom with yourself at the center, which, a hint, 
It's all of us, all right? We all do this. We all build these little kingdoms for ourselves with, our, with ourselves at the center on the throne. We all have a power problem. And in Australia in 2022, had to think there, in Australia in 2022, it's quite jarring to hear me say that. Unless you've, maybe if you've been in church for a long time, you're used to it, but if, you, if you're fairly new to church, that's quite a jarring thing to hear because the air we breathe, the culture, the cultural air we breathe is the complete opposite, all right? We've been trained, especially the younger generations, we've been trained to believe your life is your own. You make your decisions. No one has any right to tell you how to feel, okay? If something seems right to you, then it's right. You define your own truth. No one can tell you what to do with your life, except yourself. You do what's right and what's good in your own eyes. And if that's your, own perspe- if that's your perspective this morning, I don't blame you, because that's what we've been trained to believe. That's what our culture feeds us every single day through subtle ways. That's what we've been trained to believe. And if, you're, if you're sitting here today and you, you kind of think I'm blabbering on, because you, you, you're not, maybe you don't know where you are with God, or you're not interested in in being a Christian, or you're new to church, whatever it might be, I just want to say this, you are so welcome here, okay? And I'm not here to try and twist your arm and and convince you that you're wrong, okay? I'm not here to, we're not here to force you to change your mind. What I'm going to do is I want to point you to something that is infinitely better, and I do mean that, infinitely better than any fleeting pleasures and joys that you might get by building your own little kingdom, so to speak, and, and, and being in charge of your own life and just doing what seems right to you. I'm going to point, to something to point you to something so much better. So let's look at our passage this morning for verse 4. Paul says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now, I just want to pause to remind us of an, Im- of an important theological point here, which is kind of obvious, but also easy to forget. And that is that the Son of God, He did not suddenly come into existence when He was born in Bethlehem, in the manger, okay? He did not, the Son of God did not suddenly come into existence when He was born at Christmas time, Because the Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, was already eternal. He had been eternally existed before he made an appearance in Bethlehem into into physical human form. He'd already helped helped create the universe, okay? By the time he's lying in the manger, he'd already created galaxies. He had that on his resume, okay? That's a pretty big come down. That's a pretty big step down. Like, if you walked out into the bathrooms now, open the door, there's Queen Elizabeth II on her knees scrubbing out the U-bend with a toilet brush, all right? That'd be a bit jarring, but this, that, that's nothing compared to the step down that Jesus is taking here, okay? You, you know, that show Undercover Boss, which I saw about like two episodes of ever, yeah, I'm seeing a few nods, like the, the boss pretends to be an employee, uh, I don't know how they disguise the fact that there's cameras following him around everywhere, but there you go. So the boss pretends to be an employee and, and works with the, you know, the plebs, the ground level employees, the unimportant people, and the boss learns about what, of, of what their workers are like, and often they're quite humbled by how hard working the, the worker is. And then the boss gets a lot of plaudits and, uh, you know, uh, gets more well known because they've been on TV and they go back to being the boss. Not really that much of a sacrifice, really, there's a lot of gain to be had there. But what Jesus is doing, the creator of galaxies, the creator of us, when he empties himself 
and enters, it become, becomes one of us, becomes a helpless baby. That's a sacrifice beyond anything we can wrap our heads around. Because he was God. He was God. Still is, but he was God. In the form of God, equal with God, but he'd emptied himself, he took on the form of a servant, he was born in the likeness of men. And so Jesus took all his power and his privilege that he already had. He wasn't lacking anything. Okay, this wasn't a power grab. He had everything. He had all the power, all the privilege, and he put it to the side. And then in verse 8 we read, being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so, from power that we can't even begin to comprehend, to, at the other end of the spectrum, suffering and humiliation that we can never begin to comprehend. That's a big transformation. And it's easy to gloss over the next bit. We know that part of the story very well. Verse 9, Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's easy, especially just after Christmas, to, 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 to kind of gloss over the exalted bit and focus on the humble bit. And as a, as a grade two teacher in my day job, I, I find this bit, because I teach at a Christian school, I find this bit, this bit a little bit hard to explain to my, to, to my kids, especially coming up to Christmas, because talking about the Christmas story with them is a beautiful thing, and, and they really relate to it, and they love it. Um, but then it can sometimes kind of give them a one-sided impression. And so I'll, I'll sometimes hear kids in my class say things like, oh, like, I love it how Jesus, he's not one of those kings that needs to show everyone how powerful he is and how mighty he is. He's, he's, he, you know, he, he just needed to be a baby in a manger. He didn't need to show everyone how powerful he was. It's like, no, kind of. <laughs> it's, it's, actually, he is. Like, it's, you know, when he returns one day, he will not be a little baby in a manger. Far from it. Other end of the spectrum. He will look a whole lot different. And verse, verse 9 says that God has highly exalted him and yet, as I've already pointed out, he already was. He already was highly exalted, okay? Jesus didn't come to earth to get power. He already had the power, and he chose to empty himself and put it aside. He chose to do that, became one of us, walked among us, died in our place, and now God has highly exalted him. He laid his power aside, he laid his comfort aside to save the weak, who, by the way, were actually rebelling against him, and so the key point for us today is that Jesus actually showed us, shows us what, to, what true power is. He shows us what true power is. Not, not using others for gain, but putting aside personal gain to save others. He was, he was so sure in who he was. He was so secure in who he was and what he had that he was willing to put everything to one side and endure agony beyond, beyond comprehension, to suffer beyond comprehension to save others. And so every single one of us, whether it's in our workplaces or our personal lives, in, in very big ways or just in subtle ways, we seek, we seek power at the expense of others, of those who are weaker than us, and yet Jesus put His power to the side in, in order to help the weak. And so through His, through his incarnation, His, his, his birth, but when he became human, through his death, through his resurrection, and through one day his return. All different ways to show how powerful he is. 
And so as a, as a baby, he, when he became a baby, he emptied himself, so in one, sense he, in one sense he was less powerful, in another sense, it was just another way to show how powerful he was, okay? That's what we need to get our heads around, and it's hard for us because our understandings of power are so warped. Jesus was actually showing how powerful he was when he put off his glory and became one of us. That was an act of power. He knew exactly who he was. He knew exactly what was waiting for him, but he was willing to do that. That is true power and true love. And so, what does this mean for us? Well, firstly, I would just say, if you don't know Jesus, get to know him. All right? For someone to have that much and to sacrifice it, for those who are actually very unlovely, okay, little, little, little newsflash, he didn't, he didn't do all that because we deserved it, quite the opposite. Why wouldn't you want to get to know that person? Why wouldn't you? And if we're, we're truly honest, even those of us that have been Christians for many years, if we're truly honest, we get a bit uncomfortable thinking about the awesome power and the awesome might of God and His sovereignty, all of which are actually legitimately a bit scary. But let's just think... What did he, let's just take a look at what did he do with that power? When we, when we see how powerful God is and what he chose to do with that power, he is worthy of our trust. But as Christians, in our day-to-day walks, as Christians, what do we do when we find ourselves chasing earthly crowns? Which, as I said, happens to all of us. I want to remind you of a very simple but very important truth. Remember who you were and remember who you are. Remember who you were and remember who you are. We were so weak, so wretched, so sinful, so broken, insert any describing word you want, so powerless that it took God becoming a baby and living amongst us, dying in our place and then defeating death and defeating sin by raising back to life. It took that much just to save us from the hole we dug ourselves into. It's not pretty. And that knowledge makes my quest to build these flimsy earthly crowns for myself seem a little bit pathetic when I, when I consider what it took to actually save me. So when I, when I, when I know what it took to rescue me, that actually frees me. That, that might sound depressing, but actually it's the opposite. It actually frees me. It's like, okay, this is what I've been saved from. Why bother striving? Why strive? What do I have to prove? I've got nothing to prove. It actually, it actually frees me from striving to prove myself because there's no point. I actually deserve worse, even if people treat me badly. I actually deserve worse than that. And yet, there's a flip side. That all sounds a little bit morbid, but there's a flip side. The flip side of that is, and we will spend all of eternity coming to terms with this, is that when Jesus died in our place and rose again, He didn't just wipe the slate clean. Okay, he didn't just forgive us. He actually went beyond that. He made a way for us to be brought into his family. The Bible, Paul actually describes us as co-heirs with Christ. Co-heirs. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus returns and does away with sin and repairs this fractured world and repairs our hearts and establishes his kingdom here, we will reign with him. It doesn't say anything about the kingdom of God being us on our knees 24-7 prostrating ourselves before God. We will worship Him and we will praise Him. We will reign with Him. It will not be boring. Think back to Adam in the garden, all right? 
God wanted to give them significance and authority and importance and a, a purposeful role. He wants the same for us. We will reign with Him. And that's what's in store for us when we put aside our pathetic, flimsy, earthly crowns that we try and build for ourselves. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, when we take up the cross, take up our cross and follow Him, even if it costs us in this life, which He promises us, it will. It will cost us in this life. That's who we are as followers of Jesus. Because when we know who we truly are, just, just like Jesus knew who He truly was, when we know who we are as, 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 as adopted sons and daughters of God, we're suddenly a whole lot less concerned with what people think about us. We're suddenly a whole lot less concerned with whether pe- people know that I'm awesome and important and impressive. Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. We lay down the power we have, we serve others. And so the question we have to ask ourselves this morning, what each of us needs to ask ourselves, regardless of where we are on the the knowing Jesus spectrum, do do I keep building my own little kingdom with myself in the middle on the throne. And again, this is something we have to keep coming back to. This is not just like a one-time at salvation thing. This is something we keep on, the, 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 the way that the world keeps pulling on our hearts to, to, to come away from uh, following God and to build something for ourselves. Do I keep building that for myself? Or do I stop trying to chase my own crowns? Do I take up my cross and follow Jesus? And ironically, He promises us the crown. Okay? Just like I said at the start, power isn't bad. Crowns aren't bad. Jesus promises us one. The cross leads to a crown. For Him and for us. But we just prefer to take the shortcut, don't we? We prefer to take the shortcut. We prefer to create our own crown on our own terms. And so the call today is to stop chasing that. That futile effort. To that cheap imitation Take the road that's harder and better. Follow the king who actually sacrificed himself to save you. Submit to him. Let him show you what you are actually created for. So we've had, um, and I'll invite the band up as I I, um, finish. We've had comfort. We've had sexual intimacy. We've had wealth. We've had power. And they are all so alluring. And as I've said, they're not actually bad things. But when we pursue them in the wrong way, they're so destructive. The sad irony is that all four of of those were actually created by God for us to enjoy. He doesn't want to take them away from us. Christians are not the fun police, okay? God wants us to have joy in this life. He wants us to enjoy the gifts that He's given us. And I include power in that. He wants us to enjoy them properly. Because as we've heard the last four weeks, the way to, to true fulfillment and true freedom, and true joy is to stop chasing after what is momentary, to stop chasing after things that are are, are, are here today and gone tomorrow, and actually pursue Him, even when it costs us in the short term. I'm going to pray for us. Lord, it is a a bit of an upside-down kingdom that you're building, and yet you saved us in ways that no one expected. Lord Jesus, you put aside your power, your glory, your privilege, your comfort, 
You entered into our world. You became one of us. You died in our place so that we could know you. And we confess, every one of us confesses that we keep on chasing things that lead us away from you. Things that are feeble, things that don't give us true lasting joy. We try to run our own lives. We, we, we acknowledge that deep down, we often think that we are a better God than you. We know better than you. So we repent of that. We turn back to you. We ask for your help. We don't despair in that because we know that you have already won. You have already won. We know that you are, we are your sons and your daughters and in that knowledge, in that knowledge, nothing else matters. So help us to step into that. Help us to step into what it truly means to be your sons and your daughters, to live that out in our lives even when it does cost us, even when it does cost us comfort or power. It is an impossible thing for us to do ourselves. We ask for your help. And may we build each other up in that. Amen.